Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a gentleman who has an incredible background, uh, actually in the consulting industry, consulting Fortune Fortune 100, twisted my tongue there, companies, incredible financial and, and education background, which is always fascinating to me when people with that background choose to get into the real estate and multifamily business. It's just kind of like... Um, the ultimate verification of its validity and its future and et cetera. Uh, we have with us the founder and CEO of Exponential Equity. He is Hemel Badiami. And, and Hemel, if I am pronouncing your first name wrong, you could just correct me right now. No, you did absolutely fine. Most people cannot do that. So that, uh, kudos to you, Roger. And I'm super excited to be here and uh, speak with you about all things uh, real estate and non-real estate. Okie dokie. Well, that sounds fantastic. I'm glad I passed the the test. Uh, It's always embarrassing when I don't. You know what? One of the things I always ask people when we start is uh, just for, you know, just a little color. Where do you hail from? Where where did you grow up? What was the early path of Hemel? Yeah, uh, that's great. That's a great question. I grew up in uh, India. So I, uh, the early path of Hemel, first 19 years of my life was in India. Grew up in an upper middle class family. So suffice to say, in, in Asian countries, if you're upper middle class, you, you, you live a pretty luxurious life. Um, and so first 19 years, I never cut a vegetable in my life and never ironed a shirt. <laughs> it was all magically done around me and uh, lived like a prince, very naive, you know, in a, in a shell. My dad was a very hardworking but frugal gentleman. Um, we own a bunch of factories up back in India. And so I grew up with the right mindset uh, from, from that standpoint. A lot of uh, politicians, philosophers, etc., coming to the house when I was a kid. My granddad used to love uh, having debates and chats. Um, so it was an interesting household and gave a lot of global exposure and different sides of opinion that kind of shaped me for the rest of my life uh, from that perspective. Very interesting. Well, you know, you never, you never uh, cut a vegetable. I don't think I ever ate a vegetable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish I didn't either, but uh, we'll, we'll live with it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, no, I was, I, I ate a couple, but yeah, I, I, I should, to this day, I don't eat nearly, nearly, nearly enough vegetables or fruits, but uh, that is a, a detail that is probably of interest to absolutely no one. Uh, listening to this podcast. So uh, what city were you in? I was in a town called Rajkot, which is, uh, if you think about India as a diamond, it's on the western tip. Uh, there's a state that most entrepreneurs from India hail from. Uh, all the big, uh, big top three richest people in India essentially are from that state, no relation. Um, but there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit there for most people and it's just cultivated. And so my town was a you know, medium-sized town, more industrial uh, organizations over there um, and you know, did siestas from one to four. So it was pretty interesting. Everything shut down, the whole city shut down from one to 4 p.m. 
and everybody slept off after having a heavy meal and went back to work at four to nine, nine thirty in the night. Shops were open, uh, banks were open, and that's how how we rolled. That's how you rolled. What kind of factories did your dad own? Uh, it was chemical factories, so like coating on uh, you know chairs and stuff, uh, lathe machine oils, etc. So it was pretty boring stuff from from my brother and my vantage point. We didn't interest take any interest in in that side of the business, and we wanted to do our own thing. Wanted to do your own thing. So through the age of nineteen, where where did you go to college? Yeah, I came to UNC Charlotte. I knew only one person in the United States. This was this dude who had moved two or three years back. He was my high school buddy back in back in my hometown. And uh, he had some uncles here in Charlotte and he was going to study here and then eventually start his own hotel business, etc. Uh, or, or that was the thinking. So I'm like, hey, dad, I have one person I know in this town that I don't know anything about. I'm going to apply there. And my dad, that was like, whatever, you know. And uh, so I made it through. I gave my uh, SATs and I came here and, you know, by two months before I landed here, that gentleman decided to move back. So when I actually landed here, uh, not only that, didn't I know anybody, but it was quite a culture shock, uh, on all things because I had to do a lot of things myself that I didn't have to in the first 19 years of my life. So you thought you had a friend and you was going to be, you were going to be two of you and it ended up with one of you. Yep. Pretty much. Okay. I get it. If you were to, uh, and again, you know, so I, I read your profile in anticipation of this conversation. Uh, you did consulting to fortune 100 companies, which is pretty impressive. If you were to kind of synopsize the kind of consulting you did or what was the, um, experience, how, how would you do that? Yeah, it was 15 years living out of a suitcase, Monday to Thursday, travel to client site across three continents, uh, worked with everybody from Disney theme parks to the Vatican. Um, so quite a wide, wide variety of clients. And it was anything. It was problem solving at the highest level of the C-suite, right? So it boiled down to, hey, we are not innovating enough, or we need to cut cost, or we need to merge, or we need to grow the company, or we need to transform multiple divisions of the company. And that problem statement then got translated into a strategy, a plan, and then you know comes in organizational politics inertia, how to let them know black and white. Um, so it was a, it was the most phenomenal experience of my life in terms of learning how to read people, learning how to diplomatically communicate ideas, uh, being with building teams uh, of clients and consulting folks, leading them, inspiring them through very hard and challenging times and really working really, really hard 80 hour weeks uh, because you're you're doing the client's work and then your own internal work as well. So phenomenal experience. Got it. Well, uh, an amazing background. How? What's the bridge from that to multifamily real estate? Yeah, two events, also called Twin Babies. Uh, that that started my journey of hey, I need to hang out, hang up my traveling boots. So found a cushy job at uh, at a bank, senior vice president with an assistant and all of that. And after changing a few thousand diapers, I started getting bored. Um, so I introspected on what my competency is, and it was exactly that. I knew how to scale. I need to. I knew how to inspire people. I need to how to find people to build teams, whatever that business was. So led to an outsourcing company that I scaled and exited. 
then a private lending company, then a residential real estate company, and then eventually graduated to commercial real estate company to the, the place we have now. What was the residential real estate company? It was more flipping houses and assigning contracts. So I had nine uh, employees in Philippines and we were mass uh, wholesaling houses and flipping some houses. And what years was that? That was in 2019. Got it. So so you you moved fast. And uh, where were these houses and how many were you flipping? I was across the country. I would flip 10 to 40 houses a month. Gosh darn. How did you find them? Cold calling, texting, mailers, all kinds of uh, just outreach, sales outreach that my employees in Philippines would do. Um, and then if there is interest, they'd come to me. I would close the deal. Um, suffice to say, it was high volume, zero risk. I didn't even see those houses, but I wasn't even enjoying what I was building. So there came a point where I had to make that switch uh, a pivotal switch in, in my life. And, and why weren't you enjoying it? It was, you know, mainly distressed assets that I was purchasing. So there's some other conversations that I would have where with distressed sellers and they were, you know, while I was adding value by buying things from them that would have gone to zero, um, it was still a distressed fire sale. So I didn't feel that was, that's not where my heart is. I want to do deals where it's a win-win situation. And I didn't feel like that was a win-win situation for them. Wow, man. Uh, it speaks, uh, speaks uh, of some integrity. How were you getting the lists? Like what was the criterion of people that you were contacting? People that were behind on mortgages or yeah, tax liens? Yeah, or out of state owners, tax liens, probates. There's just lists that people can buy on the internet by the thousands. And, you know, there are dialers, text message solutions that you can, I'm sure you're getting those kinds of messages. I get 10 calls like that every day uh, now. And I'm like, I know you guys. I was one of you. <laughs> uh, and mm-hmm. so they, they want to, one guy wanted to buy the UPS store when I, when I have a post box because he thought that was an address. Um, so it's, you know, it's a spray and pray method. Uh, you only, it's a volume game, but 1% of the people that are contacting you back and 1% of the country means a lot of leads. Yeah. So it's just a numbers game. And would you essentially just find out kind of like what the market was in a given zip code and in a different geo and then offer them a certain percentage less than that? Pretty much. Yep. It was a map. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Got it. Well, you know what? Uh, you didn't enjoy it for the reason that you expounded upon, but it's just, Still super impressive that you got it to a certain scale and we're flipping that many. Yeah. Uh, impressive. Yeah, I could have. Uh, that was the conundrum I was facing. I'm like, I have nine employees. I can make this 90 employees or I need to do something otherwise because it's making a ton of money. Where do I go from here? And that's when I embarked on a journey to find myself a coach. I yeah, hired a performance coach and asked the first question I asked was this conundrum. And he told me to shut down my business. This is on in January of 2020, two months before COVID hit. So I, you know, completely lost the stream of heavy stream of revenue uh, because I listened to that guy and listened to my heart and shut down this business, let the employees go and figured out, you know, what to do, what to do now. But his philosophy was if you, you cannot climb a new mountain unless you climb down the one that you're on and you'll find something that's worthy of you know, being a senior executive in the consulting side, being a senior vice president, you can't do this distressed stellar stuff. You need to be a CEO of a company that is healthy in the, the conversations that you're having and interactions you're having and what you're building and impacting. And so that's that was very valuable, life-changing advice that I adhered to. Uh, and that led me to this path. You know, it's impressive because first of all, 
you know, given your background, which is, you know, one of, you know, great success, I could see where you can come out feeling cocky. So lack of a better word. So I'll just use stick with cocky. Yeah. But the reality is the fact that you hired a performance coach is very impressive because you, you kind of the ability to recognize that you can use some outside feedback is impressive. And then furthermore, uh, that you, you had the courage to kind of walk away with something that w- was generating you a lot of income uh, and start something from from scratch. So that's uh, that's impressive, man. Good, good for you. So what what has the path been, I guess, since making that decision? Yeah, since 2020, I mean, right now we are 13 people in the company, 150 million in assets under management and development in less than three years, uh, six divisions of the company. So we've scaled beyond my imagination and extremely grateful for the the partners and employees I have uh, surrounding me and trusting me uh, to, you know, help build this company. Um, But we started in 2020, essentially with distressed uh, commercial assets and then pivoted and expanded into development, then land, then, you know, property management, construction management, foreign fund center, all kinds of divisions. And we continue to build flywheel with asset classes that we'll add to the table. Um, our, our journey has been, you know, mainly around the Carolinas, three hour circle around Charlotte. So we want to play in our backyard and build that incredible credibility here with the, with the local influencers, the business society, the politicians, the economic plan developers, the uh, the way we can give back around this area where we live and call home. That's kind of the vision. In terms of uh, development, Hamel, what are you talking about? What, what are you, are you talking about ground up building? Yeah, we, we have 85 million in construction projects going on, uh, including multifamily ground up, self-storage ground up, uh, built to rent community ground up, built to sell community ground up for projects. You're busy. We are busy. Yeah. We work that wow, man. Week. Are you, is your current focus today, or I'll ask it another way, what is your current focus today? Are you still uh, acquiring existing properties or have you pivoted to ground up being more uh, of the focus for, yeah. you know, presumably economic reasons? Yeah. So last uh, existing acquisition, we bought a $25 million built to rent community that was very new 2022 built completely stabilized that we closed in December. Um, and now this first six months, it's going to be land and ground up is our, our focus. And then we'll see where the feds chips lie macroeconomically, where the Russian war, uh, Ukrainian war lies and just understand where inflationary pressures lie to see if there are opportunities in the multifamily space from a deal perspective. Otherwise, we'll continue with land and ground up um, just because we have creative ways to get you know cheaper capital for the ground up construction and land has the most risk versus reward ratio from our businesses. What are those creative ways of getting uh, cheaper debt? Yeah, cheap, cheaper financing, cheaper equity. We we have bought this foreign fund center uh, for a specific type of job creation visa that uh, United States government has that allows foreign investors to invest in the U.S. and uh, they don't get too much of a return. You know, a couple of couple of percentage points typically annualized, but they get to they and their family can become permanent residents of the United States after a few years for creating those jobs. So it's a win-win-win environment for developers like us, for foreign investors, for the government uh, that is looking for extra funds and in infrastructure and construction projects. 
That sounds ingenious. What countries are these um, are these uh, people coming from? Mainly Latin America, Asia, and Middle East. I see. Wow, man, dude, very interesting. Uh, on the on the um, the twenty five million dollar build to rent that you acquired a couple months ago, how many units is that? Where is it? And like, what are the what what's the yield on that? It it would strike me as like build to rent being brand new would be a super low cap rate, but what does it all look like? Yeah. So cap rate was interesting. The, the reason is, uh, these guys are, uh, this is in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So hour and a half from Charlotte, uh, right in our play play yard. Uh, we bought back in September, another asset 20 minutes from this asset. So we already had property management staff that we are scaling and using the same staff. So that allows us a lot of operational savings. Um, but these guys are builders that actually just build and flip houses or, or communities. So it's a 98 townhome with garages, built to rent community, brand new, very chic, came in completely stabilized. But the, the way they stabilized it, because they finished construction in August, and by the time we purchased it, it was fully occupied. Uh, and that was because they rented it very low compared to what we can achieve in rents. So they were okay selling it at a higher cap rate, allowing us to go through the next two years of market cycle, bringing the rents to market, achieving that, you know, pro forma value that's significantly higher and then allowing us to either exit when the time is right or refi and keep it, keep it as a property for us. Sounds clean. Uh, what, what cap rate was it? It was forward cap was about 5.18. Got it. So forward, so that wasn't the going in, or that was a five. It was a five point once you reached performa. Correct, five point one eight was then the next twelve months. I got it. Okay, very interesting. And when you say property management, which you had said earlier, do you have property management uh, to manage your own properties? And or is it do you do you manage others' properties as well? No, we've just started that division. So we mainly manage our properties starting with smaller assets and we're looking at what's the ROI with that division. Certainly provides us more control over quality and OPEX and you know good operators right now in my vantage point would win the long-term game versus you know okay operators. And this is the ace in the hole. But again, unless you're managing three to 5,000 units, it's harder for a property management company as an entity to make decent amount of money. So we'll have to look into how we evolve it. Uh, eventually, we might go to third party or we might have other asset classes like storage and we'll mix and match. We'll, we'll play it by the year. I understand. On the, uh, the, the ground up uh, self-storage, ground up multifamily, are you developing then to sell or are you going to keep those properties? Yeah, ground up multifamily, we're developing to sell, built to sell townhomes. We are building near downtown Charlotte. Those are high velocity sales. Uh, those become interesting investments for our investors. They keep in the money for 15, 18 months. And then as townhomes start selling, they get cashed out. So they're not locked in over five years of liquidity like some of the other projects. Um, so there's a set of investors that caters to. But then the, the build to rent community that we are building, uh, that would be a build and hold for a very, very long term plan. Hmm. One of the things that's interesting is that, you know, haven't done this a couple of years, you're clearly raising capital. How are you doing that? 
Yeah, we raised 28 million bucks last year and uh, it's a whole host of, you know, word of mouth. We have a pretty good infrastructure, first of all, on our website in terms of drip campaign. Um, so if you sign up for our website, you get educational snippets, uh, etc. That's all fully automated, uh, about 10, 12 emails that comes over the next 30, 40 days. Um, you know, I've been on 50 plus podcasts. So, you know, when my partner Yomesh has been on a dozen, two dozen podcasts. So our names carry a lot of weight for people to know us. Um, and then word of mouth as people have invested with us in projects have received, you know, very, very good communication, quarterly distributions, full cycle deals. It's just snowballed into, you know, a few hundred investors that are in our database. Plus, then we have a Rolodex of good partners that uh, many times bring in supplemental capital or pref equity positions, et cetera, et cetera. Are you, are you raising the pref equity or the supplemental from uh, any family offices, institutions, yeah. uh, just Uber, you know, ultra high net worth? Where, where is that money yeah, coming from? Yeah, it's come from institutional pref equity partners. So this $25 million deal that we closed, we raised about $10.5 overall. Out of that, $3 million was pref, and then 7 was retail investors. Was the 3 mil from one entity or, or more than... One, what was the nature? Obviously, I'm not asking who, but what was what what was the nature of that partner? Like, were they family office yeah, they have, or you said incident? It's actually a great weighted average cost of capital, right? Uh, they get a fixed uh, 14% IRR on the deal, and that's it, and they get out. Understood. Got it. Um, you know, on your site, there's a portfolio of, you know, multifamily properties um, that looked like you may have acquired early on in your process. Um, have you sold any of those or are you hanging on to them or what's the, what's the picture look like? Yeah, we mainly refi and put out. Um, so we, we've, we've done a couple of full cycle deals where we refinanced distressed asset that we bought one, for example, at 8 million that we refinanced at 14 million. So we were able to pay investors hundred percent of their capital plus 15% cash on cash. And then now they're enjoying perpetual equity that's getting built on it. And the money that was returned to them was tax-free, essentially, because it's a refinance loan. So we like that kind of longer uh, value-add and hold type of projects more than, you know, flips, essentially. And then what, when you do the refis, what kind of debt are you getting? Uh, so stabilized agency debt that we put in 60% LTV is an example, either from life insurance companies or Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, depending on the size of the loan, it could be SBL. We have great debt, bro- both brokerage partners and direct dust lenders that allow us to deal with uh, the agency pretty, pretty closely and creatively. Hmm. Very interesting. It sounds like what you do, you know, clearly is opportunistic and you're just kind of like, um, assessing where, you know, where we are in the economic cycles and in the market. And as a result of that, you're doing any number of different things. Uh, do you, that being the case, do you have a favorite, uh, asset class? Are you, um, like if you're looking down the road, would you prefer to do more development? Would you prefer to, you know, acquire existing assets or is it just, 
you know, based on this experience or you're completely agnostic? No, I, I think the way I put it is if you just like a bank, right? A bank has a consumer division, a mortgage division, auto division, credit card division. And if the economy refinances are low and then, but credit card debt is up, you know, one division has lower number of transactions and the other one has higher and still you still have a predictable top line revenue and a bottom line revenue for the bank. Plus also you can leverage horizontals like marketing and infrastructure and IT and all of that for all the divisions, even though you slow down one versus speed up the other. So that's, that's the model I like to create with each division of the company. Um, but my favorite to answer your question is land entitlement and rezoning, hands down. It's just the most lowest risk versus highest reward uh, from, from my vantage points. I, I, we focus a lot on that. We've got about 600 acres uh, of land in the pipeline and we'll probably do two, two to 5,000 lots every year in terms of development or entitlement. Uh, that's kind of the goal. Wow, man, that was not what I was expecting. So I'm glad I asked the question. Why is it the lowest risk? Because uh, you can, the land entitlement process works in the way where you can tie up land for a very long period of time. So the due diligence process is not 30 days. It's typically six to nine months or 12 months. Um, and if you know what you're doing, which I have a whole team of retired folks that did land for 30 years each, um, under our payroll. So we know what we're doing. Then it's easy to perform due diligence. You spend a really small amount of time and money into due diligence. But when you get it rezoned and approved for higher density, the, the value of the, the piece of land that you're just trying to purchase increases exponentially. And so you, the profit margin is just unbelievably high versus a multifamily deal, which is, you know, more cash flowing, predictable, stabilized 15 to 20% type of range. And then with the land that you've acquired and, and what will end users end up developing on that land? Multifamily mainly is what, or townhomes is mainly what we rezone for. I see. Very interesting. How, how does the financing work for the, for acquiring this land? Oh, we just have friends and family do JVs with us. Uh, on smaller projects, we just syndicated one that was a larger project as a equity piece. But there are land financing companies out there that provide 50 to 75% of loan to value if you're actually developing the land and doing the horizontal construction, et cetera, which we do not typically. I see. Hmm. Man, uh, what, what would you say, you know, what is it specifically, I guess, from your background doing all that consulting? That is, that, that has become the most valuable for you in terms of what you're doing now. Yeah. Knowing, knowing who's high integrity, loyal, basically reading people and reading what fuels them so that I can structure my relationship, partnership, uh, to enable their success and thereby having them as a partner or employee or investor within the company as, as being the, the most, that's my superpower. Again, I wasn't expecting that as an answer. Um, so basically, so you, you basically are an allocator of human capital. It sounds like first and foremost. Correct. And, and you're smart enough to have the vision of where the opportunities are clearly. But once you identify that vision, then you find the right people to do it with is your superpower. Yeah, or vice versa. If I find a person, I can build a company division around it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very impressive. I got to tell you, what, what would you say um, 
you know, you've moved quickly, which is an understatement. What are key lessons that you've learned over the last few years? Things you, you, you wouldn't do maybe again. Yeah, it's market cycles can define geniuses and fools. So if you master the market cycle and understand and ready to pivot, then you understand where you are and what things you can do. And so um, that's one thing. Second thing, don't be afraid to fail. This is not a business for the faint of heart. Uh, it is problem solving at the extreme on a daily basis. Uh, and these are very large problems with a very high complexity and a large sum of money that could make or break you. And so you got to have very steely, uh, hard, you know, stress reducing, uh, techniques in your life to ensure that, yeah, you, you are in your A game on a daily basis. What are those techniques for you? Uh, meditation, music, playing with my kids. What kind of meditation do you do? Uh, I do Wim Hof's breathing technique. Um, I actually attended his camp, spent time five days with him and up in the Pyrenees mountains of Spain and learned from him. So that was super useful. Man alive. So are you doing ice baths? I do from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I do? Uh, I do cold showers every morning and uh, I would be really lying if I told you I enjoyed it. Yeah, you die every time jumping. <laughs> and that, that's that's the shortcut to meditation. You you cannot think of anything else but that. Boy, that is true. That is true. But you know what? It's funny about it. It's as torturous as it is. I'm addicted to it. Absolutely. And and it's so much of a mindset. Like I'd never taken a cold shower in my life before I went to the camp. And first first day, I think I I spent five minutes in the ice bath. Second day, eight minutes. Third day, 10 minutes. Fourth day, 15 minutes, which is insane. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It is funny, but but I get why you're successful. And, and, and I can connect those two dots that if you can withstand like a 14 minute ice bath, yeah. you know, you can deal with, with the, uh, the, the problems of, of dealing with business. Uh, that, that is funny. I, uh, you know, on the cold showers, if I'm being honest, man, I, I like shortcut it to death. I'm like in and out of there probably. <laughs> I've never timed it, but probably like I could be less than a minute as I'm thinking about it. Maybe it's a little bit, you can see from my hairline, I don't need a lot of time to like shampoo my hair. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm in it out, but I, but I do it nonetheless. You're an impressive guy, man. You're, you're inspirational. Again, you find the right people and you just put the, the, the pieces of the puzzle and then you're able to, and you're honest enough to say, Hey, man, this stuff is really, really hard problem solving at its extreme. Yeah. That's what I would gather. Um, a little sidebar on, on some of the, um, the assets that you acquired early on multifamily. Did you do bridge loan or, you know, cause certainly the, the target has moved in that whole, uh, arena. What does that look yeah, like? Yeah. Bridge loans, but we were again, very creative. We never did a loan without a cap rate. If we did a bridge loan that was floating. And then, uh, most, the first couple of assets we bought, we, we've refinanced them. So we're out, uh, we have long-term agency debt. The third asset we bought, we have a fixed, 6.5% fixed bridge loan on it. So there is no movement to it, which is awesome. Um, so we, we've been conscious of that uh, to a certain extent, even when we played when the stakes were super high and everybody was trying to buy, you know, three cap stuff. Well, and, and my guess would be that you were smart enough to buy the assets at the right price where you can, there was enough really strong value add that, that you were able to demonstrate enough NOI so that you were able to 
transition out of these products. Correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, that look, it's uh, eight o'clock your time. It's time to play with your kids. If somebody uh, wants to find out more about you, uh, engage you in any way, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, our website is exponential-equity.com. And my email address is hemel, H-E-M-A-L, at exponential-equity.com. Um, so I love talking about real estate. Feel free to reach out. Fantastic. Well, listen, um, again, I thank you so much. Thanks for bearing with earlier today. We had a little schedule misunderstanding that was probably 100% my fault. And uh, look, I but be prepared to hear from me in a year or so to catch up and do this again. Absolutely. I would love that. Thanks for the time. All right. You got it, Hemel. Talk to you soon. Great meeting Talk you. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.